an Arizona Sports Special. Mitch and Steve from Arizona Sports Saturday on the local sports leader. Arizona Sports on the Arizona Sports app and 98.7. Swing, high fly ball, deep to left field. Ward is back, turns, looks. It's gone. It's a grand slam for Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And the Diamondbacks blow it open. It's 5-0. That's Lourdes Gurriel's grand slam from Friday night's game against the Angels. All-star number three for the Diamondbacks. So, of course, Corbin Carroll, he's starting. Zach Gallen, named as a starting pitcher. And Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who I think surprised me more than it should have, is going to be a reserve outfielder for the NL All-Stars as well. Diamondbacks have three All-Stars for the first time since 2018. No disrespect to Lourdes because he's having a pretty good year, a resurgent year. He's got his power back, uh, which is something he's been lacking over the last season or two. Um, I like Lourdes a lot. Love him in the clubhouse. Love his fit with this team. He's... He's, he's perfect for them. He's a cult favorite here in Phoenix absolutely. because of the hair. Oh, absolutely because of the hair. <laughs> so I walked into the ballpark on Wednesday, and there was somebody in the 50-50 raffle, like selling the 50-50 raffle, and they were wearing a purple uh, Lord Escuriel Jr. like hair wig. Oh, so yeah. I've They're started big. seeing those around. I love it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go there just for just a second. Do we it. just got to have fun with this. So on the broadcast the other day, they mentioned that uh, – People were getting behind the Lourdes thing and painting their hair, dyeing their hair purple. Oh, you're going to talk about I'm going to talk about this oh, for just no. a second because I love he's – my, he's one of my good friends. So uh, my good friend Derek Montilla, who used to work here, he uh, he's on the PHNX D-backs podcast. Shout out to them. And he goes by the mayor. He always has. It's his nickname. He, he's been the mayor on all of his podcasts. He's now the mayor of PHNX. Uh, and Heidi Watney, God love her, she went on the air on the broadcast on Apple TV and said even Phoenix Mayor Derek Montilla dyed his hair purple. And that, uh, he will never let that go. Do you think Kate Gallego's upset? I don't think she, I think she's probably confused, at least a little bit, if she even knows about it. I had several people in the political world reach out to me and they're like, I don't get it. What, I don't, do they not know about Kate Gallego? They didn't get it. And you shouldn't. Listen, I don't know. I don't think she's listening right now, but Kate, Miss Mayor, if you're listening, just dye your hair purple before All-Star Weekend. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Could you do that? So, no disrespect to Lourdes Gurriel, but he's actually not been very good over the last month. He's slumped. By his standards. But his overall season has yeah. been very good. It's been a good year. Uh, he was unbelievable. I think it was the month of May was just unbelievable. But since, I think it was June 3rd, he went out this for June almost a week. Been okay. No, it, it, it's not been good. He's hitting like 170 over the last, uh, since he went out. Came back, I think it was June 10th. Since then, he's hitting 171. The on base is like 227. It's not good. So he's having a rough stretch at a time when we're talking about his all-star candidacy. And you have to go back to the month of May and remember that he was a top five player in the game of baseball at yeah. that time. So, And it's an argument that a lot of guys are going to have. Brent Rooker made the all-star team from Oakland. And Brent Rooker hasn't been that good in the last month and a half. But, but at the he same was time, horrid in the month of April. And at the same time, somebody from every team has to go. Yeah, and it exactly. Was, it was either going to be him or they have an awesome outfielder named Asturi Ruiz. But maybe that's part of the voting structure. Like, I look, I look at the reserves... And I have to kind of figure out on my own, okay, who was a player-voted guy, and then who were the ones that the commissioners picked? 
if there is an if there is a position that is basically locked, so like there's three outfielders in the National League reserves, those are probably all player votes. Nick Castellanos, yeah. Juan Soto, most definitely. Lourdes Gurriel, I think it really helped that he had an awesome month of May and got a lot of support from the fan voting and even made it into that phase two where he could have been voted a starter. That's the in thing. This game. Top four in fan voting almost essentially puts you in the conversation alone. I think it really helps when the players are put tasked at voting it too. Yeah. Again, we're not going to knock him because he's had a very good season and an all-star yeah. worthy season. He I'm has. very happy that Lourdes is in. I am very bummed, however, for guys like, I'll just rattle them all off. Merrill Kelly, Cattell Marte, Christian Walker, Geraldo Perdomo. Yeah, probably four guys there who had an argument to get in. And the Diamondbacks Cattell are, definitely should And the Diamondbacks in. are the second best team in the National League. And if we're going to compare apples to apples, the Braves have eight All-Stars. It's a good team, though. It's a good team, it's but really so are the Diamondbacks. Team. Yeah, no, I agree. The Diamondbacks are also a good team, and they have three All-Stars, and it felt like pulling out teeth just to get any of them there. I saw a breakdown of the uh, Braves roster the other day. It was like, if you go position by position, they've got All-Stars at like eight out of the, or seven out of the nine positions, and the other two are hitting like 300 <laughs> at the other two positions. So, I mean, they have an incredible lineup. Yeah, There's no I, doubt about it. I get it. They're a really good team, and they deserve to have the guys there that are there. It's just one of those where finally I can be excited about this team. Finally, I can be excited about certain individuals on this team. Sure. And finally, we can reward some of these really good players with the necessary accolades. And then guys kind of get the rough end of the stick, per se, because they're having really good years, but they don't get this same recognition. And it really matters, too, from a money standpoint. Because a lot of guys in their contract, like Corbin Carroll's going to get some bonuses from being an all-star starter this year, right? He's probably going to get some bonuses from being rookie of the year. He's second in the odds to win MVP this year. Cattell Marte doesn't get all that because he's not an all-star. Merrill Kelly's not going to get that because he's not an all-star. Like, this sucks monetarily for these guys because they have played well enough to get to the all-star game. And because they don't... They don't get rewarded for it. Yeah, I know. It's hard for me to get like emotionally invested in how much money they make when they're already making millions. But you're right. From a personal perspective. What do you mean? You don't relate to the people uh, making millions of dollars? I to cannot relate. Shockingly, I cannot relate. Um, but you can't afford me, Mitch. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I can't get it. I can't get invested in like their financial bonuses. I, some of the rookies totally get it if they're making 500K when they're probably worth like, you know, tens if not twenties of millions of dollars then I totally get yeah. what you're missing out like on Corbin's base salary this year is like 1.3 million yeah but Cattell is like the highest paid player on the Diamondbacks so I'm not sure. super upset about him missing a bonus or whatever um, but it would have been really cool because he deserved to get in the question now is because Zach Gallen is in as a starting pitcher where does he stack up against the other starters and should he could he be starting in this game so I'll just list them all here you got Gallen. From Atlanta, you have Spencer Strider, who strikes out literally everybody he faces. Bryce Elder, who is a rookie, and he's got the, I believe, the second lowest qualified ERA in Major League Baseball, which is really good. He's only behind Justin Steele, the left-hander for the Cubs, who could be a great name, by the way. Could be a movable piece in about a month or so. Mitch Keller with the Pirates, who's had a really good campaign and has had a lot of struggles with Pittsburgh, but he's their sole representative. Josiah Gray, who was famously a part of the Trey Turner-Max Scherzer trade when he went from the Dodgers to the Nationals. I don't think he should have gotten in. Clayton Kershaw, who's a perennial 
with the Dodgers. Yeah. And then Marcus Stroman, who's had a Cy Young type of season. Yeah. It's a it's a tough list to pick from. I don't want to individually rule guys out because I think that's rude. They're all all stars. So the good news in this argument for Gallon is that because you are the National League team playing in an American League ballpark, they're not going to pick a Luis Castillo over you. They're not going to pick Clayton Kershaw like last year in right. Los Angeles. There's no legacy pick. Exactly. Because of the location. So that's already a step, a leg up, if you will, for Zach Gallon. Uh, I think he's in this conversation. Uh, Spencer Strider, while he certainly strikes out a ton of dudes, like you said, he's been fairly hittable this season. He's got a couple of mess starts the last few outings. Um, but I mean, like, well, so who has, has the best like, case? Justin Steele and Bryce Elder have the best ERAs, but do we think that they're better pitchers than Zach Gallen? Is that going to be the... Not really. Hey, let's remember this All-Star game because we were just talking about some infamous All-Star game starters in the break. Like, do you remember when Brad Penny started the All-Star game? And most people are like, yeah. who the heck is Brad Penny? Yeah. I asked you earlier, name the most random person you can that started the All-Star game. Esteban Loiza. This has to be a boom. This has to be a prime opportunity for Zach. I see it as three guys could start this All Star game: Zach Gallen, Clayton Kershaw, and Spencer Strider. That's yeah. who I think he's going against. And I don't want to play the game of all right. Well, who of these people are starting on Sunday? Who's automatically going to get knocked out? Because that's not fair. I was and playing who's, that. Game who's the Zach manager? Gallen. Phillies. Rob Thompson. Okay, with Philly. So there's no Philly guy. But could he choose the NL East guy that he's seen a lot in Spencer Strider? He could. Could I, he make the legacy pick of Kershaw, and then Kershaw gets back-to-back starts in the All Star game? I hope they pick Zach Gallen. And he's going to have one more start before the All-Star break. And right. ho- hopefully it lines up with that Saturday so, and not that Sunday. So Because I want to see him play in the game. Um, I If I had to predict today, I'm going to go Clayton Kershaw. He's got a 2.5 ERA. He's got a whip of 1.05 at his age, deciding to go back to the Dodgers. And the way that they treat All-Star weekend, or it's not even really a weekend, All-Star couple of days. Half week. Yeah, half week. <laughs> the way they treat it nowadays in baseball is it's like a legacy thing. It's like putting Miguel Cabrera in the All-Star game. Yeah, last year they had he those, didn't deserve it. They had those commissioner picks, right? Right. They picked Miguel Cabrera and they picked Albert Pujols. Right. As like a, hey, Pujols, I think, was it's a legacy pick. That was kind of like one of those ones where I was like, all right, put him in. Because he's chasing this incredible record. Of course. And Miguel Cabrera did not derby. deserve it. Remember the home run derby that Pujols had where it was yeah. like, he, he kind of surprised some people and yeah. it was really fun? Yeah, it was really fun. And that's what this week, this, again, I'm going to say weekend. That's what this <laughs> event should be all about. So for me, I think you probably start Clayton Kershaw just because of the career he's had. He continues to be absolutely dominant. And he's the class of the NL West. I, I think Clayton Kershaw is probably my pick. But Zach Allen's got one more opportunity, and he just struck out 12 guys the other day. So it's if he can go out do. and do another double-digit strikeout performance, it's going to be hard. I mean, they might announce the starting pitcher before he even starts. So that might be a moot point, but maybe I hope Gallon gets that nod. It would be cool to see. It's and then, so cool. And it's and this is not to diss Joe, but it, it feels so cool to be able to feel invested in an All Star game because one, you know, somebody's going to start, and two, somebody's going to come in later. Whereas with Joe Mantiply last year, like you don't even know if he's going to be able to come into the game. Who was the last D back to start the game? Hurt would have been RJ, right? Shilling? I think it would have been RJ. RJ did it. I don't. I don't know if Granky ever started in a D backs uh, uniform. No, I no. I don't. Uh, Granky twenty fifteen. No, he signed with the D backs in the fall of twenty fifteen. So no, it would have been. Yeah, I think it probably was Schilling two thousand two. Is he on the Diamondbacks in two thousand two? Yes. Yeah. So I think that's probably the last time. Be pretty cool. 
to get Gallon to start that game. Coming up next, it took 11 years, but Eric Gordon is finally a son. So the son's now done in free agency. We'll talk about that next here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. This is an Arizona Sports Special. Mitch and Steve from Arizona Sports Saturday on the local sports leader. Arizona Sports on the Arizona Sports app and 98.7. Well, it's 10 years in the making. Eric Gordon is a Phoenix Sun now. And possibly the last guy that they acquire in free agency. I imagine they're going to keep their options open at this point. But bringing in Eric Gordon... After the shopping spree that they went on on day one of NBA free agency, it looks like the Phoenix Suns roster is pretty much set at this point. We talked with our uh, Suns insider, Kellen Olson on Saturday on our show and basically asked the question, what's left to accomplish? Like, wh- what else could they even look to add? And he basically said, I-, I wouldn't mind with another ball handler. Lo and behold, Eric Gordon. Ta-da, ball handler, cherry on top of what has been a... A challenging but successful offseason. You you used the analogy a couple of days ago of James Jones was told by Matt Ishbia or whoever told him, essentially, hey, here's a $20 bill. Now I need you to bring me back seven dudes who can fill out the rest of the Suns roster. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I could really quickly do the analogy again, it's uh, I see all these videos on TikTok of guys who take $20 bills to a, a chef, a, you know, a famous chef and say, hey, go to the grocery store, buy me something for 20 bucks and then cook a masterful meal that I'll never forget. And they take it to the store and they buy a bunch of random stuff that you and I would eat as like a snack, like craft yeah. ma- macaroni and cheese or, you know, a couple of onions or, you know, the, some spices or whatever. And they throw it all together. And it's the most amazing meal you've ever had for 20 bucks with a sprinkle of Tumani Kamara on top. It was uh, a lot to ask of James Jones. 100 percent. A lot. And he went to the grocery store, bought a bunch of stuff that on its own wouldn't be all that special. But then when you throw it all together, it makes sense. He nailed it. One of the things I love about Eric Gordon specifically is he fills that ball handler role. If you needed him to bring the ball up the court, he's certainly more than capable of it. If you need him to be a bit of a distributor at times, he's more than capable of it. But we know Eric Gordon as what? A shooter. He's a sharpshooter. You bring more shooting to the table. This is what happens inevitably in the NBA every time a superstar goes and forms a new big three or whatever. What happened in Miami? LeBron and Chris Bosh go join Dwayne Wade in Miami. You gotta find what do they add? To fill in. They add shooters. They add Ray Allen a year later. They add uh, Mario Chalmers was already there. Mike Miller. Mike Miller they add. James Jones they add, ironically. <laughs> so James knows. He's been a part of this several times. He goes to Cleveland with LeBron. LeBron goes to Cleveland. What do they do? They add shooters. That's what you do. Because these guys are going to create so many opportunities offensively for open looks in the corner. Open looks looks at the top of the key. Eric Gordon's going to get some opportunities to shoot some wide open threes this year. And there's not many better players in the league at shooting those shots. Do you agree that before we learned about the signing of Eric Gordon, that the Suns had a successful offseason? In terms of free agency. Yes. So prior to Eric Gordon being signed, you thought the Suns did very, very well. Yes. I can agree with that. Would Even 12 hours ago, I would, would have you, said yes. Would you put a letter grade on it, like an A? Would you give it an A? Um, Yeah, I think so. And it's it's tough because you and I have talked about this, too. You, you don't want to get overly excited about a bunch of 
bargain bin shopping. You don't want to get too excited about a bunch of guys that are on veteran minimum deals. Sure. It's not like, there's a reason they were all out there for these. But I feel pretty confident that a lot of these guys could have gotten more money elsewhere. I think Kata Bates Diop could have gotten more money elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I know Eric Gordon could have gotten more money elsewhere because that was reported today that he had other more lucrative options on the table. Right. Um, so for that reason, yeah, I feel really good about it because the Suns were able to go to these free agents and quickly convince them, you have a role with us. We can't offer you money, but we can offer you a role, and we think we can win a championship with you doing one, maybe two very specific things. Well, there is one guy who was not a big fan of how the Suns did in free agency, a la Alan Hahn of ESPN. We're just talking free agency and not the offseason, because obviously the offseason they got Bradley Beal, and that's that's a hell of a move for them, adding another star to a star-laden roster. So if we push that aside and just talk about pieces they've added through free agency, which they really haven't had any cap space to make free agency sign, I'm giving him a D. Wow. And I give him a D because, I mean, the, the, the name you know is Eric Gordon. It's a nice addition, but that's it. Everything after that, you'd have to explain it to me. And it's funny because they have a second shot on Brian Windhorst and Wendy's just going like shaking his head back and forth like, no, 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 Alan, I don't agree with you. Um, I don't agree. It's a D. So here's here's my initial reaction to that. Um, I have no idea who Alan Hahn is. That's a great reaction. Uh, I have no clue who that guy is. Um, apparently, he doesn't watch basketball, which seems to be a problem <laughs> if you're going to be on ESPN talking basketball. Um, does he not know? Who Kata Bates Diop is? I, listen, I, I, I'm with him if he wants to make the argument that none of these players are special on their own. If that's if that's what you want to, I think say then go for it. I think that's exactly part of the problem. Is, I, I get that. He looked at the list of guys that they brought in. This is this is post Eric Gordon. Obviously, this was from yeah. this morning. He looked at the list of guys that they brought in and said, Kata Bates Diop. Utah Watanabe, Drew Eubanks, Chemezi Metu, Damian Lee, Josh Cohen. He looks at that list and he says, I don't remember anything about any of those guys outside of Eric Gordon. How am I supposed to feel good about what this team is going to be? It's very hard to just judge what the Suns did based off of what they got on paper. And the stat samples are very small. But they did a damn good job, not just filling it out with veteran minimums of guys that are on their last leg, but a veteran minimums of guys looking for a second opportunity. What Alan Hahn seems to not understand is that when you are going shopping at the bottom of the bin and you don't have a lot of options out there, Kellen Olsen and I talked about this on Friday, you'd like to go get a 3 and D guy, right? A guy who can shoot the 3 and play really good perimeter defense. Mm-hmm. The problem is that guy makes a lot of money because that's being good at two things. Yes. There's not a lot of those out there. While I think Kata Bates-Diop can be that guy, really more specifically, you're asking each of these players to do one thing really well, and they do. Chemezi Metu is super athletic. That's really all you're asking him to be. Drew Eubanks is a good rim protector. That's really all you're asking him to be. Mm-hmm. Yuta Watanabe is a really good spot-up shooter. Incredible from the corners. That's really all you're asking him to be. Eric Gordon, same thing. Uh, Josh Akogi, defend. Kata Bates-Diop, defend. And I don't think it could be emphasized Jordan enough Goodwin, either. defend. They hired a defensive head coach. Right. They've hired a dude that, with a bunch of offensive guys on this roster, they hired a defensive-minded head coach. So am I just supposed to believe that the offense is going to drop off because of a defensive-minded head coach? No. Heck no. No. If anything, I only see the offense getting better because the defense is just going to excel this upcoming season. Frank Vogel is a walking top-ten defense. 
100%. Top five. Almost every year he's been a head coach in the NBA. And I think like the only one that he wasn't top 10, he was in Orlando. So <laughs> he didn't exactly count. have the cream of the crop in Orlando. No, no. I, I think what the Suns did, sorry, Alan Hahn, I guess you haven't watched basketball in a while, but <laughs> they're not asking Utah Watanabe to come in and average 15 a game. They're not asking Keita Bates Diop to come in and average 15 a game. They're asking these guys to fill very specific roles. That's why they got them for 2 to $3 million a year. You're not going out and getting an all-star caliber player for the veterans minimum. If right. you were, it's probably, it's probably somebody who's out of their mind. A little bit out of their mind. What is he talking about? I don't know. Who is Alan Hahn, by the way? <laughs> I honestly don't know who that is. Brian Windhorst, who leads the Hoop Collective podcast, they just dropped a new episode either today, yesterday evening, uh, within within recency of the Eric Gordon news, and he emphasized that maybe the Suns are no are not going to be like the automatic favorites, but they did exactly what they were supposed to do. I always say there's no superstar store where you can go pick out exactly what you want off the shelf. You're yeah. limited in what you can get. But some of these guys were under in demand. Like you know, several teams wanted Utah Wananabe. Several teams wanted uh, Eric Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, look, I'm not saying that, like, they've shot to the top of the West standings with this, but they have had, considering what they were what they were having to work with, they, they have done a pretty good job, and you can see a strategy in what they're doing. Brian Winhorse brings up a good point that we haven't really touched on much. Uh, while I love what the Suns have done, it doesn't mean anything in the wins and loss column yet. Nope. Just because they went out and did a, a lot of good shopping for role players doesn't mean they're better than the Nuggets. It doesn't. So I, I see all these people who are like, oh, the power the, the power dynamic is changing in the West. I see that on Twitter. I'm like, no, we don't know that yet. It's like there's a reason that you were able to successfully bring in seven guys for like $15 million. Yeah. Also, the Nuggets beat up on the Suns because they have a guy named Jokic. And as far as I can tell, he's still there. So and, and everybody wants to down the Nuggets offseason, but they've retained their starting five. Yeah. That should be pivotal. So in a vacuum, you want to ask me how the Suns did in this offseason? They did great with yep. what they had. They had Chris Paul. They turned him into Bradley Beal. They had no money. They turned it into six guys who are really, really good at one specific thing. Maybe if they overachieve, they'll be really good at two things. I think that's about as good as you were going to do for having negative dollars to spend. It's really hard to spend negative money, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's called saving. I'm not good at that either. <laughs> it's bad credit or something. Uh, around the rest of the NBA, there are still some really big dominoes to fall. What are they? We're going to talk about them next. Arizona Sports breaking news. If you're uh, if your rate limit is exceeded, you might have missed this. That's why I missed it. But according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, free agent forward Tory Craig has agreed on a two-year contract with the Chicago Bulls. Chicago. So that reunion is out of the question here Yeah, Torrey Craig off the board. If the Suns were even available to make another roster spot, right. they probably would have had to waive somebody, put somebody on a two-way contract. Um, but Torrey Craig, a guy who they traded for a couple of times. Yeah, literally, the Suns they traded, traded for him twice. twice. They didn't sign him as a free agent once. No. I, th- I don't think so. Kind of a, kind of a weird him. scenario. They traded for him from um, Milwaukee the year that they went to the finals. And then in the offseason, they're like, we really want to have you back. And then he signed with Indiana 
And then they got him from Indiana halfway through that first season of a two-year deal. So the role that Torrey Craig played on the Suns the last couple of years, specifically, I guess, this past year with Jay Crowder not playing. Thanks a lot, Jay. Uh, <laughs> Torrey Craig was kind of that three-slash-four He's a forward, a wing guy who could be a 3 and D type player. And mm-hmm. he's not going to score you a ton of points uh, on any given day necessarily. Um, that's the role that I think they're going to look for in a fifth starter. Whether that's Josh Akogi or Keita Bates Diop, I think those are my two leading candidates to be a quote-unquote starter. Because as we know, this team is what it is. It's Bradley Beal, it's Devin Booker. It's Kevin Durant. It's DeAndre Ayton on some level. Mm -hmm. And the fifth guy is going to be a rotation of things depending on what they need in the moment. Uh, A player like Torrey Craig is kind of what I thought maybe they would go to look to add, and maybe they still do if there is another roster spot available at some point. I think they could look into players like him, but it won't be him. Do you think the Bulls get him just so that they can have a body on the roster that maybe they can expend later? Um, I haven't looked at the Bulls. Should we make it three for three of James Jones trading for Torrey Craig midway through the season? <laughs> they could do that. From now. Midwestern teams. God, no kidding. Yeah, they he could always do goes that. back to the Midwest and then, you know, they're all, gets traded back to the Suns. All of them in the same division, too. I just realized that. They're all in the Central Division. The Bucks, the Pacers, and now the Bulls. Man, does Torrey like the Central Division or something? I don't know. Um, the I question want- is, how much were they efforting to get... Tory Craig. Back, I wonder. And we don't too. know the answer, and I that. wonder if this two-year deal is a one-and-one, one, just like a lot of these veteran deals have been. Because, quite frankly, as uh, the great Alan Hahn would put it, <laughs> Tory Craig does not do anything. Special. You don't know who he is. Stop it. I have no idea who that is. Um, <laughs> seven points per game last year was his career high. So I don't want to pretend like he's this great scorer, but he is a three and D wing guy who played a really important role on this team. Five, and so five rebounds a game in twenty four minutes a game. That's pretty good though. Yeah. No, I would agree. Get so that's the kind low. of player that I think they might look for if they were to go out and have another roster and, spot open. And Tori, generally speaking, was always a really good defender. He was one of the better wing defenders when he came into the league with Denver and then eventually made his way to Milwaukee and then Phoenix, of course. So we've we've seen it up close. We've seen what Torrey can do. It's not like he's the elite scorer or anything. He did have that one game where he was, wasn't he 7-for-7 seven seven or something like that, and he just couldn't miss. That was pretty cool. That We're down cool. to one Torrey in the Valley now. Oh, yeah, that's a bummer. Tori Lavello. Tori with only one R, too. They spell it different. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so we just wanted to catch you up on that in case you missed it. Tori Craig, there will not be a Phoenix reunion. He has reportedly signed a two-year deal with the Chicago Bulls. That according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. Uh, we'll catch up on a few other things. Uh, also today, Mason Plumley, the center, he's going back to the Clippers on a one-year deal. He has been a guy that has been a really solid backup center. Not necessarily the greatest starting center, but he's he found himself a really good role behind Avita Zubac in L.A. One year, five million. Uh, that's a little bit more than the Suns could have offered him if they were even interested. I don't know that they were, but right. that's a player that I think we all kind of looked at. Like that could be a feasible backup to DeAndre Ayton. Um, so yeah, he's off the board too. Uh, another max contract signed today, a designated rookie max. Minnesota gave it to Anthony Edwards, five years up to $260 million. So Very it, deserved. As much as we talk about big players moving around the NBA every offseason, and it does feel that way, we still have Dame, we still have Harden uh, in the mix, so there could be some big moves. There have been a lot of players that went back. Yeah, uh, Like I look at Brooke Lopez to the, to the Bucks. 
A lot of contract extensions like this for Anthony Edwards, certainly a player that the Timberwolves will look to build around for the foreseeable future. Um, so there has been a lot of staying power in the NBA so far this offseason. I mean, the significant movers so far this offseason have really just been Fred Van Vliet, who got his designated max with Houston. Dylan Brooks also followed him to Houston. Like, if I'm thinking top of mind, I can't think of a, well, Bruce Brown, I guess, going to Indiana for 2-45. and 45. There haven't been that many significant Changing places in moves. free agency, right? But then there's Bradley Beal, and we're waiting on James Harden. We're waiting on Damian Lillard, and maybe there's even some other star that we don't even know about that's going to complain and want out pretty soon. Who knows? Yeah, you never know. But a lot of it has been kind of re-upping for the most part. Like looking at the West, like Demontis Sabonis got a max extension up to 217 over five years with Sacramento. Sacramento's been kind of having a quiet but sneaky offseason. They re-upped with Harrison Barnes, right? Mm-hmm. They re-upped with Demontis Sabonis. They're doubling down on what did well for them last season, and they were the third seed. They were better than the Phoenix Suns in the regular season. Uh, and while that's not the end-all, be-all, the Kings are certainly on an upward trajectory rather than a downward. And in a competitive West, that's pretty impressive. They also brought over the reigning EuroLeague MVP, Sasha Vazenkov. Three years, 20. I don't know what it's going to produce, but clearly they like him enough to put him on their team. You never know, but some of those Euro guys come over and they play significant roles. Uh, I remember when Bogdanovich, uh, both Bogdanoviches, came back over and that they play big roles. So I, it's not the end-all be-all, but certainly could be a big role player. Now, is there a team that you worry about specifically in the West based off of the offseason they've had? I think the Lakers have had a really sneaky offseason. Not even sneaky. It's been pretty boisterous, actually. But they've done some revamping of their own that I've been pretty impressed with. So, yeah, they do re-up with some of the key players like D'Angelo Russell and they brought Austin, back Austin Reeves. Reeves. They got Gabe Vincent. That's a big one. 33, I believe it was. Uh, they've signed Jackson Hayes two years, so they have a guy down low to replace Mo Bamba. I like Jackson Hayes, actually. Um, Cam Reddish. I don't think I have to say much about that. Not a big fan of Cam Reddish, but at the same time, they're adding pieces that, you know, these easily could have been roster spots filled by second round draft picks, mm-hmm. and instead they're going and getting NBA veterans, which really I think is going to help. Hachimura was brought back. Played they, really well with them. They brought in Torian Prince off of the street, who was a free agent out of Minnesota. Like, the Lakers did a pretty good job rebuilding their roster, and maybe they have some flexibility to even make moves as the season goes on if they find themselves in a position to make those kinds. These moves are just really refreshing when you compare it to the Lakers moves of old where they were bringing in Rajon Rondo five years too late Mm. or Dwight Howard five years too late Remember Carmelo Anthony Carmelo Anthony seven years too late. I mean, it's like, you know, they were bringing back all of the 2011 All-Stars. And while there is some merit to that, and certainly some of those guys have championship rings or went deep into the playoffs. Uh, I feel like they're still getting the playoff experience here, but getting quality young guys. Gabe Vincent. Just went to the finals. He's only like 26 years old, too. So relatively young. It's kind of like, you know, two birds with one stone here. They get quality young players and they have some playoff experience. It's a good move for the Lakers, which scares me a little bit. Now, Golden State, they kind of had a in and out, in and out. They got Chris Paul. Yeah. But they lost Dante DiVincenzo to the Knicks. And then they grabbed Corey Joseph on a one-year deal. I think it's a net positive for them. And I think most of this offseason was about getting Draymond Green back, which happened. Right. 
um, because I think there was a threat that he would leave Golden State. And while I think those two sides wanted to make it work all along, I mean, he easily could have ended up in Sacramento, where I've heard that he and Mike Brown have a really, really good relationship from his time in Golden State. Um, But I think that they made some moves in order to keep Draymond Green around. They sided with him instead of Jordan Poole. They sided with the guy who punched the other guy in the face, which is, you know, one thing or another. But Draymond Green has brought championships to Golden State. That's the caliber of player that you have to keep around, even maybe even long before their value exceeds their contract. You might have to overpay for Draymond Green. In fact, they are going to overpay Draymond Green for the next four years, maybe even further into the future, because that's a guy who did amazing things for you and your franchise over the last decade. The Clippers, who are a big mystery, but they were at least aggressive this offseason. We just mentioned Mason Plumlee. They also acquired Kenyon Martin Jr. from the Rockets, another good role-playing wing for them. They brought back Russell Westbrook, who obviously served a pivotal role for them. What was the money on Westbrook? Did you see? It was here's what I hate. I minimal. Hate, I hate the phrasing on this. Here's the exact phrasing from ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski: a two-year deal worth nearly eight million. Two years, eight. Why are you saying nearly eight? Uh, what, what are you trying to hide? Like Seven point nine four or something stupid like that. Um, it feels like a veteran minimum, one and one, and he's got to opt into the next one. It's not quite the minimum, but it's close, right? It's I mean, close to it. Maybe about twice the minimum. Uh, that's interesting to me that he couldn't get more or that he didn't go out and seek more, maybe. I think he knew that his market was dried up. I wonder if that was part of it. If he plays the way he did in the playoffs against the Suns, uh, if he plays that way for a full season, he's going to rebuild some value in this league. Now, the Clippers did have an almost, and they might be a contender for some of these other uh, possible stars that are out there. Remember that they almost got Malcolm Brogdon? In what ended up being just a two-team deal for Kristaps Porzingis. Right. So they almost would have had Malcolm Brogdon. This was before they re-signed Westbrook, which would have filled that void. But then also they would have had to pay Malcolm Brogdon a ton of money over the next two years. True. And now they're apparently rumored in a James Harden trade where he would end up there and maybe even with Damian Lillard. So there's the Damian Lillard conversation. I haven't heard much about him in the Clippers, but if you want to talk James Harden for a second, he opted into a player option of, I think it's 36 and a half or something like Mm -hmm. that. Philadelphia and he do not like each other. So he doesn't want to be there anymore. Right. He opted in with the intention of being traded. Right. They appear to be working on a trade for him, but they also appear to be building around Joel Embiid. Obviously, he's the MVP. And Tyrese Maxey, who has an expiring deal next season. But from all the things that we're hearing now from Brian Windhorst, they, they want to be want flexible because they anticipate bringing in a lot of money. Right. But they also want to build around Tyrese Maxey. They don't want to trade him for Dame necessarily. Right. So if you're trading Harden and supposedly the Clippers don't want to give up Kawhi or Paul George, because why would they? So you'd be bringing in James Harden with the idea of not losing them. They just signed Russell Westbrook, so I don't think he can be included in that trade anyway. Now you're looking at a deal for maybe centered around Powell, Norman Powell. Maybe. Terrence Mann gets to stay, probably. I mean, that could be a really formidable team if James Harden goes there and the pieces mesh well, which I know is asking a lot. But if you're talking about a Westbrook, Harden, Kawhi, Paul George, L.A. Clippers, that's pretty daunting. It's daunting when healthy. And then one team I don't think we should forget about because they haven't done a lot, but they have made a significant trade that I think got swept under the rug. Memphis. Memphis got Marcus Smart as part of the Porzingis deal. 
who is a veteran point guard, and they're going to need somebody to play point guard while John Morant is suspended for the first 25 games. And then they also signed Derrick Rose. They got two adults in the room at the point guard position. You think that's hinting at something? Perhaps it feels like it is. They're going to be missing John Morant for, what is it, 25 games. So. And then when he comes back, you've got much better role models, don't you? And you have Guns and Roses. Yes. I see I see your point. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think the Marcus Smart thing does it for me. He's Defensive Player of the Year. We know that he was, uh, like you said, the adult in the room. He was the leader of the Boston clubhouse. And I actually worry about Boston in some ways for them because... I think Marcus Smart was probably the best leader they had, and they gave him to Memphis. And while Boston may not care about that because they love Porzingis and the fit from a basketball perspective, I'm with you. I think this Marcus Smart deal is probably going to end up paying dividends for Memphis. Coming up next, MLB trade deadline. It's at the end of this month. I know, right? We're already into July. We've got to talk through some trade ideas. We're going to bring in Alex Weiner from the Ain't No Thing podcast. He'll join us next here on Arizona Sports. and Steve from Arizona Sports Saturday on the local sports leader. This is an Arizona Sports Special. So don't go anywhere, because right after Steve and I are done, Steve's actually not going to be done. Yeah, I'm never done. As a matter of fact, he's going to spend the next hour talking with our next guest, Alex Weiner, who co-hosts the Ain't No Fang podcast with Steve. They're going to do a little podcast to broadcast, so they're going to cover all things Diamondbacks for the next hour as soon as we're done. But Alex was kind enough to join us now, so we could talk through trade ideas. Alex, thanks so much for joining us here. Thanks for having me. What's up, guys? Um, where do you want to start as far as trade ideas for the Diamondbacks? Because I think Steve and I lean mostly to starting pitching. Is that where you kind of start with this whole thing? I think so. I think the bullpen has been good enough, um, especially the last couple of months. I know it's it's easy to blame the bullpen, especially the loss last week. They had Tampa Bay, Scott McGuff with a blown save, but that had been his first blemish in a, in over a month. Right. Uh, the rest of the pen, I think, has been filling out pretty well. So. Ultimately, I think starting pitching, just because where they are at depth-wise, the guys who they feel are ready, with you know Brandon Fott coming up for one start, and then they seeing something, sending him right back down. He can't come back up for the next couple of weeks. Merrill Kelly on the IL, they're hoping to get him back quickly, but it just kind of proves where they're at as far as the depth. So I think starting pitching makes the most sense. Uh, offensively, not sure which position is most of need. So uh, I, I think they have been pretty vocal about pitching is going to be the focus at the deadline. It's going to be competitive market, but that's got to be the place you look first. Yeah, and so we're about a month away from the trade deadline at this point, but at the same time, the trade market has already started to evolve. I think it went kind of under the radar during all the NBA free agency stuff, but Texas acquires Aroldis Chapman from Kansas City, one of probably four teams in baseball right now that are for sure sellers mm-hmm. at the trade deadline, and they've already started. So uh, maybe you could say that's one option off the board for the Diamondbacks. I never really liked the idea of Aroldis Chapman to begin with, just because I have a thing against him on a, as a person. I don't think he's a great fit for the locker room. From a baseball perspective, though, the reliever market has got to be something that they're at least looking at and entertaining. But I think I'm on the same page as Mitch. I think it's got to be starter. It's got to be your first priority. Yeah, exactly. And, and going back to the market and how it's starting to unfold, there's been a few trades. The Angels made a couple with Mike Moustakas and Eduardo Escobar. You mentioned the Eraldis Chapman trade. But it really hasn't opened up yet, and I don't think it will until after the All-Star break. I mean, there's just too many teams continuously in their division races right now. It's starting to separate a little bit with some teams going on cold streaks. In the National League Central, there's three teams within five and a half games of each other. The Cubs have slipped a little bit. 
bit. That's a team to look for. I think we mentioned in our last podcast, there are certain teams that Dimebacks fans should be rooting against over the next couple of weeks so that they become <laughs> sellers. Uh, and I think Chicago's a good one to look at there in the American League. Uh, the D- Detroit Tigers and the Chicago White Sox have kind of fallen out of their races. Uh, the Tigers are eight and a half back. The White Sox are 10 games back. And so those are a couple teams that have some nice talents on them, both starting pitching wise, especially with Chicago and then relievers, especially in Detroit, who you could potentially look at there. I wonder, I want to look at the Cubs really quickly because the Mm -hmm. Cubs have two starters that are going to be in the All-Star game. I'm not necessarily pointing at them, but they seem the easiest to move. Specifically, Marcus Stroman, who is on the final year of his deal. He seems cost friendly and maybe maybe you can convince him to stay maybe he and Bob Brenly can have a heart to heart or something but at the same time <laughs> for good content if you could package in like a Michael Fulmer into that deal who's had kind of a revival as a reliever with the Cubs I feel like that could be a bang bang move right there if you could convince the Cubs to sell to you I mean, yeah. I mean, that's. I think that's the best case scenario is you get a pitcher like Marcus Stroman to join your rotation. I mean, to have to go into September baseball, potentially the postseason with a Gallon, Stroman, Kelly, top three, and then you piece it together from there. I think that's about as good as you can get uh, at this deadline. Stroman also has a player option for next season, so that may be you know a slight additive to the deal. Uh, it would have to cost a lot, and I know yeah. that. Uh, you know, there was a story a few weeks ago in the Republic where Hazen said that they want to see what answers they have internally first before going externally. And they don't want to have to, like, go off the path that they're on because they've built up a lot of talent. I think a lot of people think they're a little ahead of schedule. I think they are admittedly a little bit ahead of schedule and to potentially gut a, a pretty good farm system for a big trade to go all in this year and potentially only this year if it's Stroman and he opts out of his contract. I think they're going to be wary of that. But yeah, I mean, Stroman's been terrific. He's an all-star for a reason. Uh, player option, so it potentially could be multiple years. But uh, that's, that seems like a like a like maybe a little bit lofty, but a potentially really nice goal to have. The problem I have is I think that we as Diamondback fans overestimate the prospect pool that they have to trade from. While they do have a surplus of starting pitching, they're mostly at the double and triple A level. None of them are really shining right now. Brandon Fott, who has been their top pitching prospect, has come to the major league level and not been good two times out of two. Mm -hmm. So that player in particular might not appeal to some people in a trade package, but they're definitely going to start the conversation there. From position player aspects, they have a lot of outfielders, but Dominic Canzone, as good as he's been in AAA this year, is not on the 40-man. So a lot of teams around the league are going to look at that and say, why is that guy not a part of their plan long-term? That conversation probably starts with Alec Thomas and Jake McCarthy. If another team is looking to move off of a Stroman, a Dylan Cease, uh, a Shane Bieber, a Corbin Burns, you want one of those guys? I think you're probably looking at moving one of those outfielders that we're talking about. And the first names that any team is going to ask for is Jordan Lawler, currently at double-A, top prospect, and probably Drew Jones, but he's injured now, too. I don't think they have the top prospects that a lot of people think they do because most of their good ones have graduated to the major league level already. Okay, but could you go cheaper then? So I think one of you two had brought up the Zach Granke reunion possibility. Yeah, I wrote about that one, yeah. Kansas City. Could you get away with getting Granke back if Kansas City is willing to take like lesser tier prospects in return? Like, is that even a possibility? Would Kansas City even be accepting of that? Uh, I I have no idea. Uh, I mean, I, I with Granky, it's sort of 
what's more worth it to you, getting people to go to your ballpark for a losing team to watch Granky once every fifth day, or a prospect who's not, you know, potentially in the future plans for a tr- team you're trading him to? So, from Kansas City's perspective, I'm not entirely sure. For Arizona, he's another reliable arm. You kind of know what you're going to get. I don't think the ceiling is all that much higher than the ceiling we've seen from Zach Davies. Um, but he knows. He knows what he's doing out there. He remains effective enough. He would be like your four or five starter. He would be another option, pretty much. He wouldn't really change the look of your rotation too much. I think it would just be another option. I think Steve was a little higher on the idea than I was. So Yeah, no, I, I think part of the argument is, first of all, this is not the sexy trade that you make. This is not the Strowman. This well, is the headline's not, sexy. Uh, maybe a little bit. The reunion, I guess, is always a good narrative. sexy, though, if you're the Diamondbacks? That's the thing is, I would pitch this as it's not even necessarily the only move you make. I feel it would be a cheap enough trade to be able to do it in tandem with something else yeah. if you needed multiple stars pitchers, or if you get a high leverage reliever somehow, you could still do the Granky deal. Could you do like Barlow and Granky or something like that? Oh, that Maybe if they good. could somehow package them together, I think that'd be awesome. Uh, my point simply was, I trust Zach Granky with the ball in a game three or a game four of a playoff series than I do Zach Davies or Ryan Nelson right now. And that's nothing. it's not to say that their ceiling is much higher, because I agree with you. I don't think his ceiling is much higher, but I think the floor is a lot higher. I think that a bad Zach Granke performance is probably still better than a really bad Zach Davies or Ryan Nelson start. So this is a trade that you're right. You make it as a with him being the fourth or fifth guy instead of the third guy. Gentlemen, I tell you what, I don't want to step on your guys' next hour, but fun little trade discussion that we had there, and I look forward to hearing you guys in a few minutes. So, Alex, thanks so much for taking the time. Absolutely. That's don't fun. go anywhere, Alex, because we got uh, another hour don't we got to do this. Don't leave. <laughs> uh, good, uh, good, good talk here, Mitch. I appreciate you coming in on a Monday for me. That's what I do, baby. All right, Mitch and I are done, but Alex and I are still to come on the Ain't No Fang podcast live on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.